Will you pray with me? Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. As always, as I find myself in this, in this moment, I am filled with gratitude that you are speaking God. You're the speaking God. You speak to us. And so my prayer that I want to pray in this moment and that I'm asking my brothers and sisters and friends in this place to pray is would we be willing to hear your word today? Would you do something in us to be able to hear your word clearly today? And in so doing, would you correct us? Would you train us? Would you rebuke us where necessary? Would you make us grow into maturity all for the sake of your glory, all for the sake of being known and loved by you more deeply and intimately because we hear you. And so, we're here. We're listening. Speak, please, God. As we behold you, Jesus, would we clearly hear what you have to say. It's in your name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen. So we have uh, just finished a series called Hold That Pose and are moving into a few weeks here where we'll have some friends of Seven Mile Road preaching and sharing parts of their heart. And today I have the distinct honor of sharing one of my favorite psalms in all the Psalter, Psalm 115. Um, Have you ever played the trust game? Maybe growing up you played this game called the trust game. If you've played it, maybe you've seen it, maybe you've watched other, uh, maybe you've watched your kids play it. Um, If you don't remember, but you turn around and usually someone's behind you. You put your hands here, and you don't, it's usually from some height, right? And you like fall back. And the hope is that your friend or someone that you're watching will catch you. <laughs> and usually when you are caught, in most cases I was caught, uh, there's an, an eruption and ecstatic of joy, right? Maybe you've seen it played like this, maybe you've played it. And usually, at least in my friend circles, it devolved. Usually like, because we were successful, we went higher until we were no longer successful. <laughs> The, the risk level was okay to go up because we were like, okay, you can catch me. Uh, we're, you're going to catch me in this. And I th- as I was thinking about this game, this trust game, maybe you played it, maybe you've watched others play it, I think it's telling something into our heart as humans. I think what we see here is every human wants to trust. We're hard, hardwired. We're designed to trust. And that trust is maybe simply said this way. It's a belief in the reliability. It's a belief in the truth. It's a belief in the ability. It's a belief in the strength of someone or something. That's the trust game. And why it's so much fun. God's word would argue that as we are searching for trust, as we are aiming to trust something or someone in the reliability, truth, ability, and strength of something or someone, that really what that is is worship. That worship as we would say it, is giving worth, affection, joy, hope, identity in what we trust. Do you see the connection here? That as we trust, as we take steps towards trusting someone, that we are actually giving big and small acts of worship towards what we are trusting. And what that means for worship is that we're giving acts of either big and small of worthiness, affection, joy, love. You see, worship the biblical authors would argue, is all about trust. Worship in your heart and your life is all about trust. And this psalm is going to help us understand this and help us tease apart, what is your heart trusting right now? Where is your heart worshiping? What is it worshiping? And I think some of the answers to this might be surprising as this psalm, as this psalm kind of puts up a litmus test for us. 
So let's jump in. The first reality is we need to understand how trust works. So if trust is this, if it's the belief in the reliability, the truth, the strength of something or someone, and that leads into worship, a giving of worth and affection and joy, then how does it actually work? What I think this psalm is arguing is you trust what you behold is ultimate. Simply put, what you believe is the most important thing in your life, you trust it. Do you see it here in verses 1 and 2? Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory. For the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. So it's important to understand the context of this psalm, what most scholars believe this psalm is being written in. Uh, Most scholars would say that this is a post-exilic psalm. So it's after the exile, after the people of God have been taken out of their lands and they're, they're able to congregate now, and this is a, a psalm writing about this. It's, it's saying, okay, in the midst of all of these troubles and suffering and everything that's going on, here is what we're going to say. We're going to continue to give you glory, God. That's, that's the context of this psalm. And they start here by saying something really crucial, not to us, but to you. What's happening here is they're right-sizing the congregation in front of them. The psalmist is inviting us to right-size our hearts. What are you viewing as ultimate? What are you viewing as most important in your life? Not to us, but to you, God. Where is that inverted? Where is it that we're saying to me and none to you, God? Because the author is understanding that you trust what you behold as ultimate. You trust what you behold as most important in your life. And so the psalmist is starting with a right sizing here. It's crucial. If we're going to understand that worship is all about trust, we have to start with a right sizing of who we are in light of who God is. We don't deserve worship. God does. But why is that the case? He says it here. He gives an answer. For the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. God's love is unmovable. It's steadfast. It will never change. It never varies. And he's faithful to the end. Because of that, he is worthy of all of our trust. If trust, if worship is all about trust, then you need to be able to trust in the relational equity of the person, right? So what we're starting with right here is a right-sizing God You deserve all the worship. You deserve all worthiness, all affection, all love because, and I don't, because you are steadfast, immovable in your love and because you are faithful to the end. I am not. There's a right sizing that has to happen. But what's interesting here is I think the psalmist is recognizing in the midst of this congregation that they're writing to, it has a ton of people that are not just Jewish, but they're from all sorts of nations because it's post-exilic. They're no longer in their homeland where they were from. He he anticipates a question here. What if you don't do a right-sizing? What if you are not right-sizing you and God? What happens? What do we do next? This is why this question is here. The He's saying, why should the nation say, where is their God? He's getting to the heart of things that, okay, right when I say this, not to us, God, but to you, a very common human question in all of our hearts, mine and yours included, is, that doesn't seem very fair. (laughs) Where is he? Who is he? Like, I don't know if I have enough information to actually be able to really believe that and really think that that's true. If the right sizing doesn't work, then the next question in this verse is a question all of our hearts are asking. Where are you? Where are you right now? What are you doing right now? I can't see you. 
I've said it before, I love the outdoors. Uh, part of it is from me living in Colorado for about four years and Alaska for about four years. I had the privilege of getting to go on a, on a little trip to Banff in February. Um, it was amazing. Uh, Banff, if you've seen pictures, you probably have seen pictures of Lake Louise in the summer. It's like this beautiful like mirror lake where you get to see this massive, beautiful mountainscape. We went in the winter. It was pretty, but it wasn't as pretty as that picture of summer where it's this crystal clear water. But what was awesome about it is literally we got to walk and hike across the lake. Like this massive lake. It's so cold and it's so frozen. We literally just got to walk straight across it. And as I can't even explain it all to you, I wish I could, uh, even a picture wouldn't do it justice, but as I'm doing this, I'm watching these like just straight sheer cliff, like marble looking uh, landscape. I see glaciers as these three mountains are kind of coming into the, into the base of this valley that's feeding into this lake. And in this moment, I am right-sized. I am like everything that I am worried about <laughs> Everything that's going on in my life, it's not minimized, but it seems really not as ultimate as it did before. Because I'm like, I'm looking at this massive display of God's creative beauty, and I'm like, if you have the power to create this, then why am I so anxious and worried? Like, again, not that the problems have gone away, not that they're minimized, they're real, but it's like, this right sizing happened as I was display as I was beholding something bigger than me, as I was looking at something much bigger than me, for me, it connected to, wow, God created this. And if he created this, he can do anything. I was right-sized in that moment. But do you know what happened? As soon as I got in the car, I literally started thinking, what am I going to do about that problem next week when I get back? Maybe if you've been to the Grand Canyon or you've seen something beautiful like this before, you can probably all attest to this. As soon as you see something ultimate and view something beyond yourself, we have this temptation, as I did, as soon as I got in the car, I inverted it right again. That no longer in front of me was this big, beautiful, ultimate view of God's creation. Instead, all I could think about was, what's going on with my life? What's happening with me? The right-sizing flipped, and I was wrong-sizing. And in that moment, I started asking, God, where are you in this? What's going on? What's happening? The example of this, and I think what the psalm is trying to say, and and my experience at Banff, and what I experience a lot of times, is really this this flip-flopping of our affections, right? Our trust structure in our heart is just constantly doing this. And it's showing us this. There is no in-between. There is no in-between with this God. We either are trusting him or we are not. And if we are trusting him, then it will lead to worshiping him. If we are not trusting him, it will lead to worshiping ourselves. You see, the way that the psalm opens, not to us, O Lord, but to your name, really the heart posture that we're oscillating between all the time is none to you and all to me. We have to be honest about that is happening at the heart structure of who we are as humans. Because trust is a belief in the reliability, truth, ability, or strength of something or someone. There's nothing in between about this. You are either trusting him or you're trusting something else. So, now that we kind of understand how trust is working here, based on the psalm, what he's saying in Psalm 115, what's next 
How do we start to understand, okay, how do we move our trust? Should we move our trust? What are some of the questions that are popping up here? Now that we understand how trust works, the first observation out of this is in verses three through eight. It's simply this, you become what you trust. If you trust what you behold is ultimate, as most important, you're eventually going to become that. As scientists have been studying this in interpersonal neurobiology, they've been talking about this, that you become what you behold. That if you are constantly looking at the same thing over and over and over again, you're going to eventually become that very thing. So, you trust what you behold is ultimate, and what you're beholding as ultimate, what you're viewing as most important in your life, you will eventually become that. Here, let me see if I can prove this out to you. Verses 3 through 8. Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths, but do not speak. Eyes, but do not see. They have ears, but do not hear. Noses, but do not smell. They have hands, but do not feel. Feet, but do not walk. They do not make a sound in their throat. Those who make them become like them. So do all who trust in them. You become what you trust. So coming out of verses 1 and 2, saying, okay, you, you trust what you behold is ultimate, and this question in our heart, this right-sizing is going to oscillate and flip on us all the time. He's trying to prove to us in verse 3, this is where God is. God is in the heavens, which is this idea of like he has all authority. It's a placement of authority that everything that's going on in your life, think above and beyond it. That's where God is because he's in a place of authority. That's his position. He's in the heavens. Whenever we see this in scripture, it's not so much that we're trying to talk about just a place or location, but it's also talking about God's ultimate authority, a placement of authority, where that is. He also does all that he pleases. So there's proof of his authority in verse 3. And he's trying to say this to say, okay, remember, not to us, but to you. Your heart's going to go like this all the time. You're going to ask this question because of that. Let me prove to you where his authority is, and let me show you what his authority is. He does all that he pleases, and now let me get to the heart of something with you. You're in a power struggle, and you're in a power struggle with your own heart. You become what you trust. Verses 4 through 8 now are all about idolatry. Did you catch it? Idols. These idols are silver and gold. They're the work of human hand, hands. They have mouths, but they don't speak. Eyes, but don't see. They have ears, but don't hear. Sm- noses, but don't smell. Hands, but don't feel. Feet, but don't walk. They don't make a sound in their throat. Those who, become, who make them become like them. So do all who trust in them. You become ultimately what you trust. What the psalmist is trying to say here is the idols that are being created and crafted by us are ultimately worthless in comparison to God. That's what we're seeing here in verses 4 through 7. It's, they can't do much, but yet we put all of our trust in them. That oscillation, remember, it's not like we're not putting our trust somewhere. We're putting our trust in something. What we're putting our trust into is idols, big and small affections, big and small courses of trust and reliability, someone or something that we think is strong. And if it's not going to God, it is going to someone or something else. This is called idolatry. The biblical narrative would say that we, are, we were created to reflect God like a mirror. But because Genesis 3 happened, we decided to not reflect God, but to reflect our own internal desires. And it threw all of creation into chaos from this. That idolatry popped out in Genesis 3, and it's been spinning us into this chaos ever since. 
As it's been noted, John Calvin, a pastor in the 1600s, he has been noted saying that our hearts are just idle factories. Like, we cannot help but churn them out. We craft them. We're making them constantly. As soon as one feels like it's torn down, we're making another. This factory is 24-7, 365. This is the state of our heart. And we become what we trust. When we moved into our home down in Meyerland, we changed the mirrors in our bathroom. Um, and mainly because we didn't really like the old mirrors, but the new mirrors, they were nice and thin. And so I want you to imagine a scene with me, a new mirror on a bathroom. And I bring Jess, my wife, in, and I'm, I'm like, hey, look at this mirror. Do you notice anything different about this one? Like, I just, I just changed what we put up. And she stands in front of it, and instead of seeing a reflection of herself back, she sees a picture of Chris Hemsworth. Because I am so desperate to be fit and strong, and I want, I want to be fit and strong like him. And she's like, this is a picture of Chris Hemsworth. This is not a mirror. And I'm like, what? No. And I push her aside, and I stand in front, and I'm like, this is me. What are you talking about? This is, not good. This is who I am. And as silly as that sounds, I think that's actually the posture of our heart when it comes to idolatry. It deludes us. What is small, tiny things that seem harmless eventually can grow into something so big and so massive that we are convinced it's true. We're putting our whole trust into it, our whole reliability structures, everything about who we are. We're like, this is it. If I can get this, everything will be better. As silly as the reflection of the Chris Hemsworth kind of reality is, that is what our hearts were made to do. We were meant to be reflections of something ultimate, of someone ultimate. But because we do not reflect God, because we don't trust him, we end up reflecting the lesser desires and loves of our idols, of our own making, of our own hands. That's what the psalmist is trying to say. This is what we do with our idolatry. And the reality of it is, is eventually, friends, what he's saying in verse 8, those who make them become like them. Let's slow up for a second and realize what they're saying. These idols are dead. They can't speak. They can't see. They can't hear. They can't smell. They can't taste. They have no joy. They have no life. And if verse 8 is true, those who make them become like them, that is your path and my path as we are walking a path of idolatry. This should make us pause for a second and think, what am I trusting? What am I trusting and what am I worshiping? Because the path, the end of that, if we're really going to become like them, it's a path of death. It's a path to nowhere. Idols are not some statues that we make sacrifice to, although they certainly can be that. Idols are a matter of our heart. They're a matter of our heart, and they're a matter of our trust. Because remember, trust is a belief in the reliability, truth, ability, or strength of something or someone. And because of that trust, we worship. We give all worth and all affection and all love and all joy towards what we're trusting. And what you're trusting and what you're becoming like matters. So let me ask you this, description of these idols here and what, what they are and who they are, if that's a description of our idols as we're churning them out in this idol factory, as we're reflecting them out, the simple couple questions for you. Can you speak? 
Like, I want you to think about this as you're reflecting on your life, maybe the past week or two weeks or three weeks. And when I say, can you speak, I mean, are you being honest? Are you confessing sin with another believer all the way to the bottom? Are your words marked by honesty and integrity? Or are you trying to find shortcuts with a business deal or with your place of work or with your family? Is your love towards other in your speech, is it hypercritical? Or is it drenched with a backfilling of trust? Like, I, you know what? I don't know exactly what they meant, but I'm going to choose to believe the best. Is your speech marked like this? If it's not, then it might, you might be becoming like an idol somewhere in your heart. Can you see? Can you see? Because remember, they have eyes, but they don't see. Are you unable to focus on anything around you? Like, are you, do you feel like anything worthwhile anymore? It just feels like it's just madness. It's just chaos. Like, you can't quite focus on what you feel is most important. Are your, your friends and family kind of hazing out as you're trying to focus? Are they becoming periphery? Like, if you're not able to see where you're meant to be going, the steps you're meant to be taking, you could be becoming like an idol that's in your heart. Can you hear? Have others come to you recently to give you feedback? And was your posture to that feedback defensiveness? Was it defensiveness? Was it, was it a irritability to anger somewhere on that sliding scale? Because they're calling something out in you? If so, possibly, there could be an idol in your heart that you're becoming more and more like. Can you smell? Which might sound like a crazy question. Can you smell? But I almost take this as like a bloodhound. Like, are you able to track the scent of wisdom in wise decisions? Does it feel like each decision you're making, each step you're taking, feels like it's leading you into deeper and deeper foolish positions? Like, are you able to actually know which direction you're supposed to be going right now? Or do you feel directionless and lost? Are you unable to empathize with others? Can you feel they have hands, but they don't feel. When others are having a problem or they're struggling, like, can you feel that gutturally here within you? Is that something you can feel and empathize with? Are you working at your relationships with others, but you can't quite put yourself in their shoes? Possibly, quite possibly, there's an idol in your heart that maybe you're becoming more like. Are you walking? Does it feel like you're just going in circles? My wife and I joke about this, the way that our house is. We just feel like sometimes we're just going in circles and circles and circles. But are you actually walking in a direction? Or does it feel like you're just spinning your tires over and over and over again? You're moving, but you're not going anywhere. Are you crying out for help? Is your throat making a sound, trying to make a sound, but it can't? Maybe, just maybe, you are becoming like an idol that's living in your heart. You see, you become what you trust, and you trust what you behold is most important and is ultimate. But here's some good news from nine forward. He strikes at two particular idol structures that are, that are possibly building up in our hearts, power and riches. And he says this, hey, if you are in this place, if you are if you're beholding lesser things, lesser than ultimate things, lesser than God, and if you're becoming like those things, there is a way out. You can, first he says in verses 9 through 11, you can trust in real power, not in false power. You can trust in real power. 
Look here with me in verse 9. O Israel, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. O house of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. You who fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. Three phrases repeated three times for purpose, for intention, for, uh, for a reason here. And it's to three different people. It's to the people of God, Israel. It's to the priests, O house of Aaron. And it's to those in the congregation who maybe have no connection to, to the people of Israel ethnically. Because again, this is a diverse congregation. And what he's saying is, hey, in the midst of what you're dealing with, God has the real power to be your help and your shield. Idolatry, two idols that will pop up in our heart time and time again. And they might have small little cousins that pop up after them, but really they root down into power and to money. Of course, there's more, but power and money is what this psalmist is trying to get at here for a second. He's saying, what are you looking to to try to save yourself? What are you looking to as ultimate that you think has power to actually change the trajectory of your life? And what he's saying is, saying, don't do that. Trust is commended here to every group in the diverse congregation. He's saying, trust in, trust in the Lord. He's your help and shield. He actually has real power. Those idols that don't speak, that don't smell, that don't taste, that don't move, that don't feel, they don't have power. They're worthless, but he has power. Have you ever had a uh, friend who loves to name drop? I remember being a part of a conversation a couple years ago that like, I don't, it was, a, it was a funny, weird conversation where we were like, hey, you know, we had celebrity sightings, you know, like, in America, we like this, like, celebrity culture, someone that's famous and has power and has riches, it's like, oh, I saw that person, and I literally was racking my brain, because I was like, ooh, who's someone that's famous that I've seen? <laughs> Have I met anyone? I feel left out in this conversation right now, and then I literally blurted out while other people were talking, I was like, Mario Lopez, which, if you know Mario Lopez, he's like Saved by the Bell, not really all that popular or famous. Uh, He was then, but not so much now, I guess. But it was this idea of like something in my heart. I love to name drop. Maybe you do too. But really what it is, the name dropping that's happening there is we love power. We love to be close to people that make us feel like we're connected to something significant, that we're connected to something or someone that we can actually view as reliable and trustworthy and strong. As silly as that is, this is, this is power. This is a, a realization of the reality that our heart is connected to it. We want to trust in that. But friends, do you know what real power is? Real power is the tree in your front yard or in your backyard. Real power is the fact that God the creator of the universe, spoke that tree into motion. That he created it. That that tree is not just, as an author would say from an amazing book, Notes from a Tilted World, he said it's not just a reference to God's creative power. It is on display of his creative power. That that tree, the trees out in our front lawn right here when you walk out of here, it's not just some distant memory from some time long ago of God showing his power just once, but it is displaying his power always and forever because it still exists. He's still speaking it into motion. It's still growing in there because God is doing that. That is real power. Not name dropping. Not the power that we crave in our life. Right sizing, that oscillation, you can feel it. It's like, who would I rather trust in? The person who's created this and everything that I see or my own hands and what I can make? 
friends, you can trust in real power because real power is reliable, it's trustworthy, it's strong. Verses 12 through 15, he strikes at the second idol that might be present in our heart. You can trust in true riches. Here, read this with me. The Lord has remembered us. He will bless us. He will bless the house of Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. He will bless those who fear the Lord, both the small and the great. May the Lord give you increase, you and your children. May you be blessed by the Lord who made heaven and earth. Okay, so he will bless us. One, two, three, four times in 12 and 13, he says, he will bless us. He will bless us, both small and great. Praying, hey, would the Lord give you increase, and then may he be blessed, bless you again. What is he talking about here? Well, there's something in our hearts that want more. We want more of things, of stuff, of resource, of everything. And as society and culture has changed, that, that more has changed, but the, the heart desire is still there. And what, what the psalmist is saying here, what they're writing, what they're pleading to the congregation, remember the context. They don't have really much of anything. Post-exile, everything that was is no longer the way that it was. And yet they're saying, you are blessed. You are blessed. You are blessed. You are blessed. May you and your children have increase, and may you be blessed. So what are the riches that he's talking about? Yes, he is talking about some material wealth, but that is not what he's trying to get at. The true riches that the author is trying to get at is God's very presence that is available to you and to me as his people. That God would give you himself. That that is true riches. That you have open access and availability to him. This is what the psalmist is trying to say. He's trying to say, listen, material, small and big, it will come and it will go, but will, will stay forever. What will stay is the one who made heaven and earth, him giving you himself. So, friends, if you have found yourself running after riches or fashioning an idol of that, for me, this has been a simple thing. I loved the movie Richie Rich growing up. I don't know if you guys have ever seen that movie. Macaulay Culkin, I loved this movie, mainly because he had a McDonald's in his house. <laughs> he, had a huge, he had a McDonald's in his house. He had all the cool toys. I was like, man, I want to be friends with that guy. And what that did is it set something off in my heart where I wanted early on a formative core memory of mine that has carried on throughout my adult, adult life. I want what money can give me. Security, comfort. And just to have fun, what seems to have to be fun. But what, what the psalm is trying to say is, listen, you're fashioning something that doesn't speak, that doesn't, that doesn't feel, that doesn't walk. You're fashioning something that's worthless at the end. What he's trying to say is we can trust because he's blessed us with the richness of his presence. And we can trust in those riches. We can trust that if the Lord provides us with that resource here and now— and if he does give us material wealth, or if he does give us the things that we need, that we can, because we have his presence, actually utilize those things for his kingdom. Even if things are tough, even if things are hard, God's presence is the ultimate riches. But again, what are you trusting? Do you trust that God is reliable, trustworthy, truthful, that he has strength, that he actually has the ability to bless you in these ways? So, we trust what we behold. We become what we trust. 
and you can trust real power and you can trust in true riches. At the end of the day, the reality of this psalm is you worship what you trust. So trust him. Don't trust anything else. Trust him. And if you trust him, then worship him. Worship is all about trust. So trust God and worship God. Worship him. That's what we end with here. Verse 16 through 18. The heavens are the Lord's heavens. The earth he has given to the children of man. The dead do not praise the Lord, nor do any who go down into silence. But we will bless the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Praise the Lord. God's word would argue that as humans, we're hardwired to give all worth, affection, joy, hope, identity in what we trust and what we believe has full reliability, what we believe has full truth, what we believe has ability and strength and power. And so, who better to trust and worship than God himself who has real power and true riches who is ultimate and above everything if that's the case if we can worship him here's three ways we can worship him worship him here and now did you see it here verse 16 the earth he has given to the children of man the right now of your life is not a waste you are not holding on until you're with God for eternity You're not just buckling in and like, okay, this life is just a passerby. He has given the earth to the children of man. What you are doing in your life right now matters. The hands that God has given you, the giftings, the abilities, the strengths, the talents, if you would trust him and worship him here and now, can you imagine what would happen with the kingdom of God? Can you imagine what would happen here in Houston if we stopped fashioning everything about ourselves, right-sizing and trying to say, no, I'm going to make myself comfortable and safe in this life now, but instead you turn it and you say, I'm going to worship him here and now. Oh, the kingdom of God, unstoppable. The kingdom movement that we would see, the beauty, the joy that we would experience. Worship him here and now. Not just with the right conditions, Not just when you have everything together, because friends, you will never have everything together. But worship him here and now. Love him. Worship him because you're not dead. Did you see this here in verse 17? The dead do not praise the Lord, nor do any who go down into silence. Friends, you're here and I'm here because we're drawing breath. We're still breathing. So worship him. Worship him while you can here and now. Worship him because you're not dead like like the idols of our hearts. The fact that you have not ended in death yet means that the path of idolatry has not terminated yet for you. You can get off of that path and onto a path of worship and trust for him. So worship him. Worship him. And finally, worship him because you will live forever worshiping you. You can live forever worshiping him. Did you see it here in verse 18? We will bless the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Praise the Lord. We are eternal beings. We're hardwired to love and to worship in these ways. Your worship of God is not just a religious activity that you come in on a Sunday or at a house church, and that's it. It's not just something you partake in in times of prayer throughout your life. It is a preview of the eternal future breaking into your present day. 
We will worship Jesus, the slain lamb, forever and ever. And every time you choose to trust God now, which leads to worship now, you are letting the eternal future break into your present day life. The eternal riches of what is ours in Christ breaks into your everyday life. And do you see how the right sizing changes, even with that, even with those thoughts? So how do we ultimately do this? How is this possible? Well, place your trust in Jesus. Trusting in Jesus is how you do this. Trusting in Jesus maybe for the first time or trusting in Jesus maybe for the hundredth time, the continual relationship that you have with him. Every relationship has moments where you're gonna, you're gonna double down on that trust. You're gonna say, yep, I'm gonna trust you again. Place your trust in Jesus because he's worthy to behold. You see, unlike your idols, Jesus, when he incarnate, when he came down from heaven into flesh as a baby, he had a mouth and he speaks to you. Jesus, he has eyes and he sees you. He has ears and he hears you. He has a nose that would have smelled the feast at the table with sinners as he's feasting with those who were desperately trying to create idols for their own comfort and safety. Jesus, his hands were pierced for us. His feet marched his cross to his own death. And he has a throat that not only boomed out to Lazarus to come out of the tomb, but he boomed out on the cross saying, it is finished. It's done. And the curtain was torn and he made open a way into the very heart of God. And then he would rise, never to die again. And this saving work of Jesus allows us to not be silent as if we are idol worshipers. Instead, we get to erupt in worship in the here and now. We get to erupt in worship for an eternity to come, and we will never die so we can worship all the time. Do you see why he is better? Idols are nothing. They're worthless. But Jesus is worthy. He's worthy of our trust. He's worthy of our worship. And he's proven it and will continue to time and time again. So friends, the invitation is an easy one. Trust who is truly strong, truly reliable, truly truthful, truly honest. It's Jesus. Trust in him today and worship him here and now and forevermore. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you. Thank you that you have provided a path out of, out of our own idolatry, God, in the fashioning of lesser loves and affections that cause us to not trust you, that cause us to not worship you, that lead our hearts to worship other things, lesser things. And Jesus, you are not on the same level playing field as those things. You are the creator of the universe. You're the king of everything. And you made a way. You made a way for us to experience real power and true riches. And so we can trust you and worship you. And so for my friends here who are wrestling with this, that maybe actually think, okay, what, what idols are in, present in my heart and what is coming out? Jesus, would you so graciously come to them and just help them see you've taken care of everything, that you've gone in and smashed the idol factory of our hearts, 
that we can trust you. For my friends who have never placed their trust in you, would you awaken their hearts to see where they have been placing their love and trust and affection, what they have been worshiping, who they've been worshiping? Would you change their heart? God, would belief in you, Jesus, be something that's afresh and new today? And would we worship you because of that? It's in your name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen.